All right, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host here with our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, at our side. We are going to be doing a His Hardline Education. Again, this is a, a continued reading of the Magna Carta Part 4. We'll be going through clauses 25 through 35. All right, starting with 25. And it reads, all counties, hundred wapentakes and trivings, except our demensny manors shall remain at the old rents and without any additional payment. Now, what this is meaning, what this says right here is this means that certain lands and territories uh, like counties, hundred wapentakes and trivings uh, would continue to be leased or rented at the same rates as before without an increase in payment, except for properties owned directly by the king. Um, now, in simpler terms, it's ensured that the rent or fees for these lands would remain unchanged, maintaining the existing financial arrangements, except for properties owned by the king himself. All right. Clause number 26. And this one reads, if anyone holding of us a lay fife shall die and our sheriff or bailiff shall exhibit our letters patent of summons for a debt which the deceased owed us, it shall be lawful for our sheriff and bailiff to attach and enroll the chattels of the deceased found upon the lay fife to the value of that debt at the site of the law worthy men, provided always that nothing whatever be thence removed until the debt which is evident shall be fully paid to us and the residue shall be left to the executors uh, executors to fulfill the will of the deceased and if there be nothing due from him to us all the chattels shall go to the deceased saving to his wife and children their reasonable shares so what this means is that if someone who holds land from the king like a lay fife uh, dies and owes a debt to the king, the king, sheriff, or bailiff can take the deceased person's belongings on that land to cover the debt. However, this can only be done in the presence of trustworthy witnesses. So the items taken must be worth the same as the debt owed to the king, and nothing else can be taken until the debt is fully paid. Now, anything left after paying the debt goes to the deceased person's executors to carry out their will. Now, if the deceased person doesn't owe anything to the king, then all their belongings go to them except for reasonable shares set aside for their spouse and children. Okay. Uh, clause 27. If any free man shall die interstate, his chattel shall be distributed by the hands of his nearest kinsfolk and friends under supervision of the church, saving to every one of the debts which the deceased owed to him. Now, what this clause means is that if a free person dies without leaving a will, or what they call it, interstate, I, I think I said interstate, my apologies, interstate, uh, their possessions, uh, which is considered chattels, uh, will be divided by their closest relatives and friends with oversight from the church. Okay. However, any debts owed to someone by the deceased person must be paid back to the creditor before the distribution of the remaining belongings. So in simpler terms, when someone without a will passes away, their property is shared among the family and friends with the church overseeing the whole process, but debts owed to anyone must be settled first, naturally. All right, clause number 28. No constable or other bailiff of ours shall take corn or other provisions from anyone without immediately tendering 
money therefore unless he can have postponement thereof by permission of the seller. Now, this clause ensures that no constable or official working for the authority can seize grain or other provisions from the individual's property, or excuse me, from individuals without promptly offering money in exchange unless, unless they receive permission from the seller to delay the payment. So in other words, officials cannot just take goods without paying for them immediately unless the seller agrees to a delay. All right, clause 29 of the Magna Carta. No constable shall compel any knight to give money in lieu of castle guard when he is willing to perform it in his own person or if he himself cannot do it from any reasonable cause then by another responsible, uh, responsible man. Further, if he have led or sent him upon military service, he shall be relieved from guard in proportion to the time during which he has been on service because of us. Now, what this means is that no constable can force a knight to pay money instead of personally fulfilling their obligation to provide castle guard service. So, so if the knight is unable to do it themselves, they can actually arrange for a qualified substitute. Now, furthermore, if the knight has been on uh, military service because of the king, they should be exempt from castle guard duty for a corresponding period as a form of uh, relief. Okay. Now, uh, clause 30, no sheriff or bailiff of ours or other person shall take the horses or carts of any free man for transport duty against the will of the said free man. So basically what this is saying that is that the clause ensures that no sheriff, bailiff, or anyone, it's pretty self-explanatory here, uh, can take a free man's horse or carts for transportation purposes without that free man's consent. All right, clause 31, neither we nor our bailiffs shall take for our castles or for any other work of ours wood which is not ours against the will of the owner of that wood again pretty self-explanatory but in case somebody needs a further explanation this clause states that neither the king nor his officials can take the wood that doesn't belong to them for use in their castles or other projects without the owner's consent again just don't steal if it's not yours all right clause 32 we will not retain beyond one year and one day the lands, those who have been convicted of a felony, and the land shall thereafter be handed over to the lords of the fiefs. So basically, this clause states that lands held by individuals who have been convicted of a felony will not be held by the crown for more than one year and one day. Now, after that period of time, those lands will actually end up be given back to the lords who originally held the fiefs. Okay. All right. Uh, clause 33. All Kaidels for the future shall be removed altogether from Thames and Medway and throughout all England, except upon the seashore. Okay, what is that? Uh, this clause stipulates that all weirs or obstructions, also known as Kaidels, in rivers like the Thames and Medway and across England must be completely removed except those located along the seashore. All right. Clause 34, the writ, which is called praesipi, uh, shall not for the future be issued to anyone regarding any tenement whereby a free man may lose his court. So in other words, this clause from the Magna Carta means that a legal writ called a praesipi, okay, will no longer be issued in a way that could result in a free man losing their right to bring a matter to court. It, it aims to protect a free man's access to the legal system 
and prevents action that could hinder this right. Now, the last section, uh, uh, which is Clause 35, it says, Let there be one measure of wine throughout our whole realm, and one measure of ale, and one measure of corn, to wit the London Quarter, and one width of cloth, whether dyed or russet, or halberget, to wit two L's within the selvages, of weights also let it be as of measures. Okay, Jason, you just said a whole ton of words that I do not understand. Okay, so what this is saying is this clause from the Magna Carta uh, in Clause 35, it specifies standard measurements for certain goods across the entire realm of England. So, for example, wine and ale. There should be a uniform measure for wine and ale throughout the kingdom. So this means that the quantity of wine and ale sold should be the same everywhere. All right, then you got corn. Again, the standard measure of corn should be the London quarter. And this establishes a consistent measurement for buying and selling grain. And then you got cloth. All right, the width of the cloth, whether if it's dyed, russet, or halbergret, should be two L's within the selvages. Now, this ensures that the cloth sold or traded adheres to a specific width or measurement. And then you have the weights. Okay, just like we have weights and measures, just like measures, the clause also emphasizes uniformity in weights for various goods. So in summary of all this, this clause aims to standardize measurements for wine, ale, corn, cloth, and weights to promote fairness and consistency in trade and commerce throughout the realm of England. It helps prevent unfair practices related to measurements and quantities of these essential goods. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your His Hardline Education segment of the day. Um, and again, this is a reading for uh, the Magna Carta Part 4. And we were we just read clauses 25 through 35. I hope you all have a great day or night wherever you're at in the world. And we will see you back here again. God bless, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah.